you know, just by listening to music, I would come to the conclusion maybe it's, I don't know, Christmas time? <laughs> love the music of Christmas, love the lights, love the candles, love the decorations, love the smells. But you know, the tragedy of Christmas, I've come to the conclusion, is that too much of the world overlooks God's greatest gift to mankind. And I want us this morning to be focused on that. So if you brought a Bible, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 9 while you're turning there. I just want to set the stage for us because this morning we're going to concentrate our attention on the gift that was foretold by the prophet, God's only begotten son. It's a tragedy that so many seem to have forgotten that this is what still is really about. And the tragedy of tragedies is that even fewer still have properly related themselves, aligned themselves with Christ, the one who was born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger. You know, I was reading in Matthew's gospel about the wise men coming. When the wise men came and and they came to Bethlehem seeking after Jesus and they asked, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And I thought to myself, you know, if nothing else, that question alone registers them as wise. Wouldn't it be wise for people today to be asking, who is he? Where is he? What do you think about this Jesus? Isaiah said he was coming. He foretold him. He described him. And I want us to look together this morning in Isaiah chapter 9 And I want us to begin our reading at verse 2 and read down through verse 7. If you've got your Bible open there, if you can, Will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 2, here's what the prophet says. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at day of harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us A son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, I would just ask you to get in your mind one phrase, one phrase at the beginning of verse 6, for to us a child is born. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning I ask you to bless the reading of your word. You've promised that it will not go forth and return to you void. It will always accomplish your purpose. And so I pray, Father, that today as we spend these moments together, you would speak truth into our hearts and lives. Sharpen our focus. 
lock our minds with laser-like intent on this child who is born to us, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Teach us your ways, Father. Help us to understand the power of your word and apply it to our lives. For we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. It's so simple to read the word of God, and yet so few people do it. To read it and actually give it attention and and, and intent to, to meditate upon it. You begin to do that, you find yourself asking questions. And, and please understand, when I ask these questions, I'm not asking these questions because I'm filled with doubt, but because I think that if we ask hard questions and if we answer hard questions, God reveals himself to us in a mighty way. Tough questions. Like, is Jesus merely a mythical figure? Is he just a legend that man created in order to fill some spiritual void and need in his own life? Or is he just another figure on the pages of history? Or, in fact, he the most notable person of all time? The birth of Jesus gave the world a new era. So often we forget how significant his arrival was. But my friends, his birth is the dividing line on our calendar. When you write a check, when you send any document and you put the date on there and you put that number, 2018, troubling, isn't it? In a couple of weeks, we're going to have to put 2019. And if you're anything like me, you probably just a few months ago stopped writing 2017. But it was his birth that was the dividing line between the era that was before and the time that we now live in. Significant? Yes. The majesty of his story has inspired artists throughout time to give us some of the most immortal paintings the world has ever seen. The great love behind his coming and his living and his dying has inspired the creation of numerous masterpieces of art, sculptures, music. It all comes from this one man. The influence of Jesus' life has brought mankind to his greatest efforts and endeavors in regards to charity, education, and medicine. In fact, truth of the matter is that Jesus has served as the subject matter for more books, more articles, and more research than any other king who has ever been seated upon a throne. And all of these things, as I was reading and considering and examining, led me to ask one question. Just exactly, who is this child who is born to us? As I sat and scribbled at my desk, I arrived with four statements. Two statements that regard me and us. Two statements that regard who he is in relation to God. And I want to unpack those statements with you and for you for just a few moments this morning. I want to begin with the statements regarding who he is in relation to God. 
Because here is a truth that I believe cannot be, should not be, must not be denied, and it is simply this, that Jesus is God's divine Son. What does that mean? We say that, we sing that, we write that sometimes, but what does that really mean? It means this, he was divinely conceived. Is this important? Yes, it is. The prophet claimed for us in Isaiah 7, 14 that the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. The virgin. See, this brings us to that sticking point that so much of the world struggles with at Christmas time. The concept of the virgin birth. And people say, well, there's absolutely no validity to it. So the prophet said the virgin. But can I just tell you something? Others have tied this detail down for us as well. In Luke chapter 1, we read about Mary when the angel came and informed her that God had chosen her. What was about to happen in her life? In Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we read that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin. Pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And then, in order to make sure we didn't miss out on this, it nails it down again. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel told her what was going to happen. Explained it in great detail. And Mary, you know, had to be taken aback. How can these things be? How can this possibly happen? Mary asked the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Lord, we have Luke recording it. We have the Holy Spirit giving it to Luke to record. We have Mary confirming it. We have Isaiah foretelling it. And then we have Matthew, who comes along and writes his gospel. A little bit different accounting. But in chapter 1, we have the record of the angel coming to Joseph. And setting him straight because, well, you know, us men, we're kind of bullheaded. And, and, and he wouldn't have been very trusting. And he would have thought perhaps that Mary had been unfaithful, that things weren't as they seemed to be. And so the angel came to Joseph and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? God. Jesus is God's divine Son. Now, I've had people tell me before, Pastor, you really don't need to make such a big deal about this. Oh, contraire. My friends, this is huge. You see, Christianity stands or falls. It rises or it collapses on the truth of this one thing, the divine conception, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. You see, Christianity is not just a creed. It's not just a set of fellowship rules. It's not just a do better and live this way kind of thing. It's a relational fellowship with a risen, living Lord. And those who begin at the virgin birth and reject the virgin birth out of hand and say it couldn't be, then they're going to find themselves immediately after beginning to continue on their course, and they will begin to attack miracle after miracle after miracle as they were performed by Jesus Christ and recorded in the Word of God. They will explain away the miracles of the Master. Does that matter? Absolutely. You see, if you follow this course, here's where it takes you. You reject the virgin birth. 
you explain away the miracles of Christ. And finally, you deny his resurrection. And then you're left with a soft, weak, worthless Jesus who does not have the power and might to save. My friends, this is the beginning of the foundation that holds it all together. Does it matter? Yeah. The prophet Isaiah, 600 plus years before Jesus arrived, told us who he would be, how he would come. It's easy. He said, Pastor, I'm not sure I get where this is going. Let me make this as easy as I can, okay? In the Hebrew thought and Hebrew life, genealogy is traced through which parent? Tony, the father's side. So whenever we say that Jesus was born of a virgin, there is no earthly father through whom his genealogy can be traced. Therefore, who is his father? God. Thus we have the truth recorded in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, my friends, here's the reality. Being foretold from the very beginning of time in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.15, all the way up through the Gospels, we have the same story being told over and over and over again and all tied together in the person of Jesus Christ, God's divine Son. But there's something else you need to see about Jesus in relationship to his Father. And it's this, that Jesus is God's sinless son. He had to be. And, and you know, it's just amazing to me because he is so unlike us in regard to sin. Hebrews 4.15 clearly states, I mean unequivocally, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. God's sinless Son, Jesus, the sinless Son of God, never engaged in any willful, willful, willful or unknown sin. He was flawless. That, that's so hard for us to understand from the basis of our sinful nature because so often it seems that we're out of control. We can't stop ourselves. It's just our nature run amok. Not so with Jesus. He is the sinless son. He is the very essence of personal purity. And this is important. And can I tell you something? It's not just my statement it's not just my conviction, but it is what is taught throughout the Word of God. Let me just give you a couple of quick examples, if I might. At Jesus' baptism. You remember he comes to John at the Jordan. They have their conversation. John baptizes him. And immediately as he comes up out of the water, the Father hymns. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What pleases God? Purity, obedience, a lifestyle that is without sin. God the Father made a second expression of this same sentiment 
at the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember he was up on the mount, Jesus was up on the mountain, Elijah and Moses showed up and, and, and there were some of his disciples and they're watching all this from a distance trying to figure out, is this really happening or, or did we eat some bad mushrooms? But then God spoke. God spoke and he said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. I say, well yeah, but you know, those are kind of gospel-y stories those are the gospel writers and they're putting their twist on this because they were his disciples they they wanted okay how about a how about a world authority how about the record of a world authority a governmental figure luke chapter 23 we have the record of pontius pilate the governor of judea Here's what he said. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod. For he sent him back to us. As you see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Well, big deal. So he didn't deserve crucifixion. No, 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 no. That's not what Pilate said. What did Pilate say? He has done nothing to deserve death. What is death the wages of? He has done nothing to deserve death. The wages of sin is death. He has done nothing to deserve death. He is without sin. My friends, make no mistake. Jesus is God's sinless son. That's the reason he could fulfill what John said he would be. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the world. Oh, friends, listen, don't, don't miss this. You want to know what the ultimate proof is of his sinlessness? The resurrection. The resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ was a public demonstration of God's divine acceptance of Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross. Had he not met God's holy standard of sinless perfection, he would not have been from the dead. He would have continued in death because the wages of sin is death. Jesus is God's divine son. He is God's sinless son. That's who he is in relationship to the Father. And I could spend weeks preaching about who he is in relationship to the Father. But for the sake of time, I'm going to stop right there because I want to spend a few minutes talking about who he is in relationship to me. See, in relationship to me, Jesus is my willing substitute. Willing. I, I put the word willing because no one took his life from him. He, he gave it. And this concept of him being our substitute, that's an Old Testament concept. It's something that has been coming along all the way. We could talk about the sacrificial system. We could talk about the Day of Atonement. We can talk about uh, the scapegoat. We can talk about the land. But let me just, let me, let me make it a little bit simpler. Psalms describe his suffering. They detail it, his, his sense of abandonment, the manner of his death, his dying upon a tree. The prophet Isaiah foretold of his substitutionary death as the suffering servant who would lay down his life for his people. 
So it's not any big surprise when the angel tells Joseph that Mary's unborn son was divine, that he was conceived Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and that he would be the Savior of his people. That's the reason they named him Jesus, because he would save his people from their sins. How could he do that? Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. And it's my conviction that Jesus knew from the very beginning what his mission was. We find him as a lad in the temple. Mom and dad left. Touched on this Wednesday evening, I think it was, maybe a week ago. Parents, don't feel bad if you leave your kids at church. Mary and Joseph did. What better place to leave them? They're safe. They might learn something. Maybe they'll teach us something. Jesus was at the temple. When he was found by his parents, you remember his statement? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Even as a young lad, he understood that. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus defined the objective for his coming into the world in terms of giving his life as a ransom for many. In John chapter 10, Jesus described himself as the good shepherd who lays his life voluntarily for his sheep. And then in John chapter 15, he, just, he taught his disciples. You remember, he, he told them, he said, my command is this. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, you might say, well, what's that got to do with anything? It's what he said right after that. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, but that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus got it. Paul understood it. Now, people will say, well, what's Paul got to do with anything? Listen, I just want you to understand something. Education in the first century, education in the 21st century are not one and the same. Very few people in the first century were well-educated. The Apostle Paul, for lack of a better way of saying it, he was probably the Ph.D. among the people who could barely read if they could even do that. And Paul got it. Paul declared in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, that Christ died for the ungodly. Well, everybody looks around and says, well, who in the world is he talking about? So Paul says, let me clear it up for you. Just two verses later in verse 8, he says this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're the ungodly. Christ died for us. This sinless one. Our substitute, by divine decree, took our place. Paul told the Corinthians, when God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. It was easy. He was God. No, it wasn't. He hurt. He felt every blow. He felt every pierce of the thorns. He felt every pierce of the nails that bound him to the cross. It was painful. Not only that, not, not only that, but think about it in this context. We can't even get ourselves inside the mind of Christ, but just think about it for a moment. 
as he was enduring that suffering and that agony and that pain, inside of his head was the knowledge of what he had left in heaven when he came to earth and what he was going to return to. But for the moment, he had to endure this agony. Paul wrestled with that. He, he told the Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus is God's divine son. He's God's sinless son. Jesus is my willing substitute. Now let me tell you one more thing about my Jesus. Jesus is our all-sufficient Savior. Now, I know somebody's going to say, well, what in the world does he mean by that? He is all-sufficient. He is all we need. He is our provision and our protection. I, I want you to understand he is our all-sufficient Savior in past and in the present. You see, he takes care of our past when we come to him in repentance and faith. When we come to him in confession, he pardons every sin. He forgives every trans transgression. He takes everything we have done, everywhere we have gone, everything we have thought, every sin. He takes it and he washes it away. He takes care of the, the present through his abiding presence. He's the mind of God who teaches us. He is the GPS of God who directs us so that we don't lose our way. He is the voice of God who is calling out to his people. He is the heart of God who beats within our hearts so that we can come together of the service and in love. He is the hand of God who continually reaches out to love the unlovely, to embrace those who the world has rejected. He is the Savior who meets our deepest needs no matter who we are, where we've been, what we've done, or when we come. He is sufficient for our past and our present. Folks, that would be enough, but that's not all. He is the all-sufficient Savior who meets the needs of our future. He's the one that David looked to in the future. And so as he finished his song, he closed it with this statement. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's the one who called his closest friends into a time of fellowship and communion with him just hours before he would lay down his own life. And he told them, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Well, that's all good and well, preacher. He's got the future covered. The things. But you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm battling against. You don't know the things I feel. You don't know the thoughts that I have. And sometimes I just feel so alone and I feel like I'm all by myself. And no one understands what I feel. No one understands. No one listens. Let me just remind you of one last thing. It's what he said just before he left. 
I am with you always. Even to the end of this age. You are not alone. You are not unheard. You are not unloved. You are not abandoned. No, our all-sufficient Savior, who has taken care of your past, meeting your needs in the present, is here with you. And he's prepared a place for you in the future. Who is this child who is born to us? The prophet said, he's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's all of that and more. I, I would tell you this morning, he is God's divine son. My, oh, God's sinless son. He is my willing substitute and he is my all-sufficient Savior. I just want to ask you this morning, have you acknowledged Him as God's divine Son? Have you accepted Him as the sinless Son who is your willing substitute? Do you realize today that He is the all-sufficient Savior and He wants to be your all-sufficient Savior? Friends, it's time to let Him in. Don't ignore Him. Don't shut Him out. Just imagine what a marvelous Christmas this could be if you would receive God's greatest gift by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Will the earth Receive her king. It happens one by one by one by one by one. Will you be that one today? Move our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of, of invitation, of commitment, of surrender. The reason is simple. Any time that the Word of God is opened and shared, any time that there is a situation, a setting, where the gospel is proclaimed and the Spirit of God is free to speak, we want to give people an opportunity to respond. I don't know what God says to people. I, sometimes I have people come by me and say, Pastor, I just loved it when you said, and they tell me something, and I think, I didn't say that. But that's what the Spirit of God told them in that moment because that was where their need was. And I know that this morning the Spirit of God is speaking to you at the point of your need. It may not be about what I said. It may be all about what God is saying. So I want to ask you this morning, would you hear His voice? Would you be obedient to Him? Perhaps He's calling you into a relationship. Perhaps He's calling you for the very first time to come to Him, to lay down your sin, to turn it over to Him, to confess and repent and ask for his forgiveness, for his life to be placed upon you. Would you be obedient? Perhaps you're his child, but you've wandered far away and he's calling you back home. Would you come to him? You're looking for him. Would you let him receive you back home? 
Maybe you're looking for a church home, a place where you can fit, a place where you can fellowship and serve and be served and be a part of what God is doing in, in the local place. If he's leading you here, I invite you, come. Let's figure out what we need to do. Let's get you connected to the body of Christ. To us, the child is born. The son is given. He's God's son. Our Savior. Will you call on him? Father, I thank you this morning for your powerful word. So often it seems that we look at your word and we see various statements and we take them at face value. But when we begin to sit down and to search and to dig, we find that you repeat your message of love over and over and over again. And Father, I thank you for this child, this son, for who he is, what he has done, what he is doing today, and what he has promised to do in our future. But Father, in this room, some people have gathered. Hearts are open. Some are happy to be here. Some are hurting. They came looking for hope and for help. Today you offer them a Savior. Father, I pray right now that our hearts would be open to hear your voice. That we would hear your call, know what it is you desire of us, that we would be obedient to do it. Father, help us to follow you and to walk in your ways each day of our lives. Now, Father, if there's someone here who needs a relationship with you, if there's someone here who's wandered away and needs to return, if there's someone here who's trying to find a way to connect to the body of Christ, I pray, Father, show them, guide them, lead them, call them, bring them, and have your way. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.